Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cherry Hill Perspective for September 29th, 2023. I'm Adrian Blake. And I'm Erin McGee. And today we have, a, I think, a very interesting topic for you. We're switching each week between a very technical topic and a more social topic. Last week, we talked in detail about uh, the tax-free savings account, and so that would be our technical topic. This week, we're going to delve into the gender pay gap and specifically women in sport. Uh, I think this is a really interesting topic. There's a lot going on at the moment, and um, it's much more nuanced than I realized it was as I started doing some research for this topic. I'd like to turn it right over to you, Erin, uh, and get you to, to maybe share a little bit about why this is topical now and, uh, and kick off the conversation. Wonderful. Thanks, Adrian. So I felt that this was an interesting topic because there has been some instances in the news, uh, positive and negative, that I think we've all been privy to. Uh, the first one being what happened at the with, with the Spanish official uh, basically sexually assaulting one of the players uh, very publicly and the fallout from that and his behavior around it. There was also a really uh, in creative commercial that was done by the French around uh, the uh, marketing of the Women's World Cup as well. So that uh, that was actually brought forward by my daughter. So I thought, you know, maybe this is something that we can delve a little bit deeper into and see if we can't uh, find out if there's what's going on, what maybe some solutions. And we actually ended up with more questions, I think, than answers, which was interesting. So this isn't, we're not going to have a nice bow on this one. I think it's more of just a, a back and forth conversation. I did a little bit of research and interestingly, the U.S. women's football team, so when we say football, we mean soccer, it's interchangeable, uh, was was the most successful team in women's history by far. You know, however, even with all of this success, they're having to file a, a, a lawsuit against the United Soccer Federation because of the disparity in pay and working conditions that actually violates the Equal Pay Act and Civil Rights Act. So let's talk a little bit about these details, you know, if each team were to play 20 friendlies in a season, the men would earn around two and a half times what the women would. Like, that's not inconsequential. Like, two and a half times is, is, is a lot. So when the women's team won the World Cup in 2019, they actually generated more revenue than the men's team. It, at the same time, they earned a quarter of the pay. So a lot of the discussion has been around, you know, women's sports aren't profitable, but even when they are, the women aren't seeing pay parity, which is really interesting. So if every player will get the same amount of money, if public appearance fees, game bonuses, prize money, and, and federation revenue sharing. So that's what they're, what they're aiming for. So equality means more pay, but it also means more marketing and promotion. If we're really talking about parity and we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the same attention to revenue and marketing for men's sports versus women's sports. So, and, and what that means is you're looking at seeing lower attendance, lower viewership, if it's not promoted, and, and also lower merchandise sales. So it's kind of an unfair stack deck, right? It also means that lower sponsorship, which was where a lot of their uh, the sports and the team players, where their revenue actually comes from. If they're not being promoted, then how are they supposed to get these really lucrative sports and, and, and sponsorship deals, right? Absolutely. I think I, I, this is what I found so interesting uh, from the research, is that even when they do earn the revenues, they don't get paid. Uh, the women don't get paid as much as the men. Uh, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, this is my own assumption was that if women's sports are less generate less revenues, then there's less money to go around, and obviously then the women 
you know, if they generate less revenues, they get paid less. But the awareness now that in some instances they generate just as much as re in revenues and still get paid less, that's where I start to really, um, I'm surprised and disappointed that that is the way that, that it's happening. Um, I think, I definitely think it's interesting. There's this, this um, chicken before the egg sort of question. Like you, you need, in order to generate revenues, you need attention. If the, in order to get attention, you need promotion. In order to put promotion dollars behind a team, you want to see revenues. So you end up in this circular situation where the teams are not being promoted as equally as uh, the men's equivalent, therefore aren't generating as much revenues, therefore don't get promoted as much. And it goes around and around in a circle. And obviously this is problematic because uh, in a lot of cases, the women's sports are just as entertaining, just as promotable, just as profitable potentially. They just don't have the head start that men do. And I think that's a, a big part of what is leading to this. So when I initially, you know, did the intro, we spoke, I mentioned that there was that really creative commercial. I don't know if anybody, I think that you saw it. And again, I said it was brought to me by my daughter and it was, you know, this, uh, this series of, just for those who, who aren't familiar with it, it was a series of really interesting uh, soccer plays that were incredibly intricate and it was all men. And, and what they had done was it was actually all female players and they just superimposed men's faces on it. And at the, they sort of did a, an about face at the end and removed the men's faces. And, and it was basically, you know, women's sports are just as amazing as men. And, and it was incredibly, it was ingenious, but it really illustrated the point um, that uh, they can be just as entertaining. So what I did was I pulled a few stats, Adrian, from not just, you know, we talked extensively about soccer uh, slash football, uh, which was actually my sport growing up. I was a little bit, uh, that's the other thing I, I, I failed to mention was I was a high level, um, soccer player for my youth and played right into my thirties. It's a great stress reliever. Let me tell you. Um, what I did was I actually pulled some stats about other sports just so we could, you know, I didn't want to delve into every single sport, but I just thought it would be interesting to sort of see across the board, what we were dealing with. So, I, I pulled a stat from the 2021. It was it was a it was actually out of uh, the UK. So a BBC uh, study found that male golf pros earned an average of 1.1 million, and their female counterparts they earned about 212,000. So that's a pay gap of 888,000 pounds. And you know one would think that things are 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 getting better, but as time has gone on, we're, we've actually seen that gap grow to 1.25 million. So when we think that things are getting better, sometimes the gaps are actually getting a little bit larger, which is pretty incredible. If we look at basketball, so, you know, and we all know that there's a huge disparity between the promotion and the visibility. Not, I, We're not going to talk about skill because that's not what we're delving into today. We're more just speaking about the, the finance and the mechanics. But when we talk about the NBA versus the WNBA, so the average NBA player earns $5.3 million, with their top earners earning, you know, $45.7 million and $42 million. Like, those are huge numbers. You know, and when we look at what the WNBA players, their average earnings are $130,000. Like, that's incredible. And their top earners, so if we look at the top earner for the for the NBA for again 45.7 the top earner in the WNBA is 230k like that's crazy there's something wrong there so it, it's that's basketball we talked about golf we've talked about soccer one of the things that I didn't even really think about 
and and this is one of the facts that came up about the NBA is they had a 50-year head start. So they had a 50-year head start in building their fan base, their sponsorship, their media buys. You know, we're talking about the WNBA was launched in 1996, whereas the NBA was launched in 1946. So, you know, the NBA is projected to make $10 billion in 2022 with the N the WNBA, 60 million. So again, I said, you know, we may walk away with more answers than, than sorry, more questions than answers. But when you've got a 50 year head start, no wonder that one is making 10 billion and one's making 60 million, right? Absolutely. And in the face of having less competition, like when, when the NBA was started in 1946, you weren't dragging attention away from an established professional sports league that had the attention of all the basketball fans already where the WNBA, that's exactly what they're trying to do, right? They, they, there's only so much attention to go around and maybe there's more available than is currently, you know, being activated. Like maybe good uh, basketball fans will love to watch the WNBA, but there's only, there's a certain amount of limit to how much sport any one person can watch. And so for the WNBA to, to flourish, there's a certain amount of attention to be pulled away from the NBA. And so that really, that makes it challenging, right? In a way that didn't exist when the NBA first started. So my sport growing up was hockey, right? I played quite competitive hockey. And I, I could understand an argument that women's hockey might be overall a little less entertaining to watch. I still think it's amazing because every one of those women is better than I ever was. Uh, so I think it's really interesting to watch, but it is a, it's not as fast of a game as the men's tends to be. But switching gears, the golf really interests me because I see no difference whatsoever in the entertainment value of women playing golf and men playing golf. I don't get it. I don't see any difference whatsoever. Uh, it does not matter to me from an entertainment perspective if the men can hit the ball a little farther than the women can. Don't care. doesn't matter, right? It doesn't change the uh, challenge that those players are going through to consistently play excellent golf over the course of a you know, four, five, six day tournament, whatever they are. I'm not a big golf fan in general, but I just don't see why it matters if they're women or they're men. If they have equal coverage and equal attention and equal promotion, they also have equal entertainment value as far as I'm concerned. So that's one that, that I find really, uh, you know, stand out, should be in the same boat as soccer, uh, where they're moving towards pay equality really, really quickly. Yeah, not the opposite direction, which is what we're seeing. Right. So this one, was, so I, I, did, I looked a little bit into tennis because I thought, oh, you know, we, we know that I, for me, I, I'm quite familiar with the big female tennis players just as much as I am, maybe even more so than the men. Um, so for tennis, this stats from 2021. So Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka were the two top players that year, and they earned 46 million and 57.3 respectively between tournament prize. They've, they had endorsements as well. So this is a number according to Forbes. So for the same year, again, 2021, Roger Federer earned 84 million. Like that's, that's, that's almost, that's pretty close to double what, uh, what the top female, uh, earned. It's, it's hard to feel bad for people who are only earning $46 million a year, but it's still half of 84, yeah. give or take. Uh, it's a meaningful gap. Absolutely. And when we look at the top highest paid tennis players in the world, only two were female. So eight out of 10 of the top players were male and, and, you know, the Williams sisters, I, you know, there's been movies made out of them. I would arguably say that their their quality of play and 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 their they've they've done tons of endorsements. I, I this one really kind of surprised me. Um, 
you know, and, and so these next points are, are sort of like of a general nature. The sentiment is that, that women are potentially more marketable. When, when we've looked at some surveys, they actually score higher for influencer traits, uh, social responsibility, healthy body image. There is a real market there for them. So brands, you know, should be, if they're not already, should be particularly interested in being associated with this healthy body image uh, and promoting women. That it, it makes good business sense to me. Yeah, and I think I think it absolutely does, and I think uh, I think there's ample opportunity there for sure. The promotion industrial uh, process, if you want to call it that, also has a 50-year head start in men's sports in a lot of cases. Uh, sometimes longer than 50 years, I would presume, with sports like soccer and golf. The probably the default is to market the men's sports. That's just kind of how the system has been operating, and and a little bit like the Titanic, it's kind of hard to turn the big ship. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. Uh, it just means that, you know, the default might be to continue doing the same thing we have been before, which is promoting, you know, men's sports. But there, there is such a story to tell in women's sports in a way that might actually be more entertaining and more promotable than what the men's sports offer at this point, especially as opinions in the public mind change. There have been a lot of, of advertising um, opportunities around the power of women and the the growing popularity of many of the things that women do. Like I'm just thinking there were Dove commercials that were really powerful a few years back um, in support of, of women in, in general and beauty, body image and beauty and all of this kind of. But I think really on the sports side of things, um, there's such an opportunity there as, as our attention changes to improvements in the way that uh, women are portrayed as equals. Uh, you probably want to be a first mover in in promoting that if you're a big company or you're big. Uh, you're providing big sponsorship deals to these sports leagues. When we're talking about endorsement deals, they they do account for a huge percentage of the athlete's income. And yet women are not being given that opportunity. So a study from just 10 years ago showed that women account for 0.4% of endorsement deals. So one would like, there's just the, the, the data doesn't back up what we, we, we think it should. This viral commercial from the, the French ad that I spoke about for the women's soccer, there's been this idea that women's soccer is just not as watchable as men and that completely debunked that yet in female players in the, the 2023 world cup uh, they'll earn 25 cents for every dollar for their their male counterparts like this and this is up from eight cents on the dollar from 2019 like we're getting there but man it's going to take a long time the the aim is you know to get there by 2026 we'll we'll see right so there's some real practical barriers that include you know pay viewership ad revenue poorer facilities, fewer opportunities like sponsorship, like the money isn't even being put into the training facilities for these women to really up their game and, 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 you know, get to the same pay, the same play and pay parity. Right. So from there, I think we're going to transition to the gender pay gap, um, in other workplaces around the world. And this was some interesting uh, stats that I, that I was able to pull up. So there was a, a, a saying, a uh, a matrix that I, I learned that really had me thinking. So when we look at the 2023 estimate, um, it's that women are going to earn 83, 83 cents for every dollar that men make. And so this gap has been steadily shrinking by about 1% annually. So this is what's considered an uncontrolled number. If we look at the controlled number, it's 99 cents per dollar. So 
What is the difference between an uncontrolled, which is 83 cents on the dollar, to a controlled, which is 99 cents on the dollar? The difference between the uncontrolled is that it is not weighted or doesn't have the filters of education, industry, experience, location, none of those. It's not, it's basically, it's just gendered. It's men versus women, which is which is where we see the 83 cents on the dollar. If we, if we take into account those measures, like I said, education, and they should be one for one. It still shouldn't be 99 cents on the dollar. Like that's, that's it's still a problem. Um, and that really got me thinking. So because there are several jobs that definitely lean more towards women, those definitely tend to be lower paying. But even when there are jobs that have theoretically the same job, same pay, that 99 cents to a, to a dollar, pretty close, I personally can attest that there's really sneaky ways around that as well. So when we're talking about, let's talk about, you know, the finance industry, which is what, you know, the world that we play in, in our sandbox, there are certain companies that have, based on certain matrix, you can have the same job title, same education, same everything, and have, you know, an, uh, a company that I was acutely familiar with had, you know, there was 22 different levels slash pay grades for the same role. And how do you go up and down those those levels really depends on who you know. Um, they, they say that it's, you know, you, 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 you write this amount of business, but there's also lots of opportunity for friends to help out friends and, and I've seen it firsthand. You can have the same job that has a very, in, in the same role, same responsibilities, that has a huge disparity in how much people get paid. I think it's less of an issue in the the largest corporations that have many employees. They have uh, formalized pay structures for all of the different roles in the company. And it's really easy to say that equal pay for equal work means this much income, right? If you're a salaried employee, you know how much you're, you're earning for a given role. You have really clear expectations of what your job entails. And you can match that up, whether you're male or female or anything else, uh, against, uh, you know, your your fellow co-workers. I think it's a lot trickier when you're talking about um, achievement-based compensation, which is what you are, are getting at. And the definition of achievement there can be any number of different things. So let's not be clear. It's not skill per se. Uh, it could be networking. It could be being buddies with the right person. It, you know, But let's call it achievement-based compensation. It's also an issue in smaller companies where you know if you've got a, a, a CEO who's a middle-aged guy who hires all of his middle-aged buddies to work with him in his business. And then they, you know, so you have one type of person that's working in the business and then they decide to, to hire a different type of person as their assistants, for example. Uh, you may have a very clear difference in the type of income each of those people might be earning, despite the fact that, that the amount of effort actually going into running the business could be, you know, largely similar. Um, but it becomes a, a, a societal issue in the structure of that company. Less of an issue, I think, in, in big publicly run companies. Definitely an issue in smaller companies where people tend to hire the people that look, smell, and feel like them because uh, that's what's comfortable. Yeah, inherent bias for sure. And and people help people yeah. and they mentor the mentoring opportunities there for people mentor people that they're in front of them. And if you surround yourself with middle-aged white men, then that's who you're going to mentor. That's who's going to rise, raise up through the, the ranks, which we see very often. The interesting thing about this is that it's not good for business. 
it is it, it, diverse workplaces are more profitable like we just we it's it there it's well documented it's very clear we know when the, when the room is diverse our team is diverse you know what we we know that different perspectives make more money something as simple as you know i've been dealing with volkswagen forever uh it's a it's a company that i my first car was a was a a 1987 rabbit i mean it was very well used to me but i went to buy my car a few years ago and i there was a certain levels of dysfunction through the whole process and even when i went to get into my vehicle i said you know you guys adjusted the armrest that when i move my seat forward because i'm a small statured female i lose the use of my armrest and if there was a woman in the design team or anyone throughout that process, they would have caught this because who drives these SUVs is typically women and we tend to be smaller statured and something simple like that. I'm like, if a woman would have been on some somewhere along the way, they would have caught this. It's pretty obvious. So um, I learned something called the about the 30% club and it's, it's a path to parity. So 20 countries all over the world from Australia to Mexico was started in 2010. They want to see, you know, 30% of, of the boards be women uh, and minorities and they're they're working really hard towards it, it was really interesting um, and they got a ways to go but there's definitely some companies that are adopting it and they see you see it in the bottom line the profitability so you know it go and it goes both ways it's not just bring more women in and and pay them equal and it, it, there's lots of environments where it's female dominated bring men in you know when we're talking about the service industry and nursing and um you know eas and in, in teaching in classrooms it's good to have both men and women and all different backgrounds because it's really enriching for you know if, if you're talking about health or, or education it's, it's important for those kids to see that representation and to have those different perspectives it's good for business and it's it, it's good all around both ways yeah absolutely i think i think in um, like teaching is a really good example where there has been less and less male teachers, especially at the early uh, early years, uh, you know, kindergarten to grade five. Um, male teachers in high school are not such uh, an uncommon thing, but I think there's been just societal pressure that um, men are concerned about being with young children, uh, unfortunately, and are less likely to want to teach in those very young age groups. But there's a lot of young boys who really need a mental, uh, a male role model very early in their lives and could really benefit from having a, you know, a kindergarten or grade one teacher who's a male and, and they can identify with very quickly. Um, I don't see that as, a, like, I think it's a problem that there's, the teaching is so heavily female, especially the youngest age groups. Um, and, and, you know, we should be making effort to, to destigmatize whatever the issue is that, that's leading to that. Um, cause it, cause it does sort of go both ways. And, and I agree, like I've worked in places before where it was, um, very heavily female. Um, and I think there's, there's real value in a male perspective in those situations. I absolutely more so agree that there's more, uh, there's value in a female perspective in situations where there's uh, all, uh, already male dominance. I mean, I'm proud of the fact that we have two men and two women, uh, in our firm at Cherry Hill Private Wealth. I think that's fantastic. And I, I think we're better for it. And I presume a lot of other companies would be absolutely the same way. Um, it was interesting during the pandemic in a very negative way, but how many women left the workforce because of the pandemic compared to how many men left the, the workforce in the pandemic? Like it's still very true that women in our society are the caretakers. And so when push comes to shove and we need to support other people in our life, it falls to the women to do that. 
and and we saw it in the numbers in during the pandemic like as soon as you had children at home that couldn't go to school it was the women that left the workforce and that is another systemic problem uh that we have to face as a society because it's 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 very difficult for the women to to take on the roles that pay the you know equal pay if they're also going to have to stop work every time something goes sideways and fix it because they're the caretakers in our society too. There really needs to be a quality beyond just the work and the compensation. It has to be all encompassing. That's a, that's a whole other topic for, for another day, Adrian. We could, I think we could do like five podcasts on that one. So on that note, um, this was a really great chat. I think that we, you know, I learned about, you know, women in sport and just sort of some of the the mechanics behind the scenes and what's really happening and and why maybe it's happening. Uh, And then we translated that into the gender pay gap uh, in in workplaces and how it can be uh, very, a little more insidious than maybe we had had anticipated. So great chat. And uh, the next one we're going to do is going to be... more technical we're going to talk about some of the registered plans and how they work and what they are and all the questions that we get from our clients so stay tuned for that one thanks so much thanks Aaron. thank you for joining us on the cherry hill perspective All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.